Welcome to the Speaking From Our Hearts podcast. In this edition, we'll be talking about many aspects of life, particularly health, relationships and wealth-related topics, all from a heart-centred approach. Your host, Paul Lowe, has a long and successful history of helping others through his coaching and mentoring, as well as his many charitable initiatives. He's been responsible for positively impacting thousands of people's lives, particularly young people from challenging backgrounds. Paul is the author of the books Mastering the Game of Life from Pain to Purpose and Speaking from Our Hearts. Welcome listeners to this Speaking From Our Hearts podcast episode where today I'm joined by a lady from Alberta, Canada by the name of Amber Romaniuk. Um, Amber, very, very warm welcome to you. Thank you, Paul, so much for having me on your podcast today. I'm very grateful to be here. And today, Amber, you're going to be talking to us around emotional eating, digestive and hormone situations and i use the word situations very loosely so uh, yeah let's start the ball rolling amber tell us more so yeah um essentially my expertise and background is really in emotional eating digestive and hormone imbalances because i ended up going through my own very very deep struggle with body image issues wanting to have the perfect body um binge eating, emotional eating. Um, for me, I went through a very severe food addiction through uh, unconsciously, I'd say from like the age probably of six or seven, all the way up until about 24. I started dieting when I was nine. Um, and essentially, when I was five, um, my first day on the school bus, the older boys called me ugly and fat. And I believed them and I took that on as my identity. So definitely for me from a very young age, Food was my friend. Food never called me names. It tasted good. It made me feel good. So I, I very early on um, developed a, an emotional relationship with food um, and had no idea that it would evolve into something so, um, you know, deep and destructive at the time um, when I hit my early 20s. I went through a breakup and assumed, oh, yeah, well, if I just like lose a few pounds and like have the perfect revenge body, then this person will want me back. Um, and of course, they didn't. And I lost the weight. And at the time, I had the body that I deemed was, quote, unquote, perfect. I was um, quite thin, but it came with a lot of um, pushing and, um, you know, not eating enough, over exercising, being very critical of my body. And I found the thinner I got, the more critical and arrogant I got. And I actually wasn't happy losing the weight. Um, my health was starting to decline and I felt a lot of pressure to try and keep up with my routine. Um, and so after, um, the breakup happened, it's like this switch flipped and I thought, well, this is too hard to maintain this routine. And I just started to binge. Like I vividly remember the first time that I was so aware of what I was doing and I went to a barbecue and I promised myself that I wasn't going to eat any of the food. Um, that I was just going to have the salad that I brought. And so I had the salad, but then I saw the ice cream cake and they offered me a small piece and I thought, oh, maybe I'll just have a small piece. And then it's like this, I got this high, this euphoria, um, pleasure feeling. And, and then here I went into a second piece of ice cream cake and then I had a burger with a bun and I was like, oh, well, I've messed everything up now. So I might as well just keep eating. And then I vividly remember grabbing like two or three chocolate bars that had been brought out to make s'mores, which is like a marshmallow cookie kind of chocolate thing over a bonfire. And I went into the bathroom and I ate all three bars of chocolates um, and just felt absolutely emotionally destroyed and physically felt very unwell. Um, and then found myself at the gym the next day, you know, exercising for even longer and, and pretty much not eating that day to try and make up for it. So that started the vicious cycle of binging, um, and then after I binge the next day, I would try to restrict to make up for it. But of course that would only fuel more binging. And so in about three or four months, I gained about 60, 65 pounds was at my heaviest, was absolutely just devastated about it. And I started to isolate at home. I didn't want to go out and be social, didn't want to hang out with my friends. I definitely didn't want to date because I didn't think that I was lovable at that point. So this whole cycle for me was it really stemmed from this point that I didn't feel good enough. I didn't love myself. I didn't know what self-love was. I didn't know how to deal with stress. And I didn't know um, that it was safe to feel emotions. So I was shoving it all down with food. I was numbing and distracting with food. And I was trying to use food to just cope with everything. And so 
whilst I was a very happy like girl and I had a really great upbringing, all of a sudden I was just, my whole life and world was consumed by food, obsessing about it, counting calories, restriction, and then the binges would happen. And I was really deep into that cycle for about a year um, before I had my low point, which people always ask me what my low point was that kind of had me wake up and, and want to take a different path. And so one evening I had finished binging. And when I talk about binging, like I would eat a whole table full of food. I have a YouTube video where I show how much food I used to binge on just to give people a visual idea. And it was a lot of different things. Um, and so I just finished a binge and I would always then throw the rest of the food out so that it would deter me from going to the garbage. And on that particular evening, I was laying on my couch in pain, just, just feeling so awful. And it still makes me emotional to think of the pain, the physical and emotional pain that the addiction put me through. Um, and then an, about an hour later, I got a little bit of, you know, room. I started to digest and the food settled. And, and then here I was digging through the garbage to eat more of the food. And, and, you know, after I put my garbage can down and just laid on the floor and cried, I just thought, this isn't me. I'm not meant to be this person. I'm not meant to solely kill myself with food. I'm so young. I have so much life ahead of me. I don't know why this is happening, but I, I have to figure it out because I want to be here for a long time. I want to be happy. I want to be healthy. And there's so many things I want to experience in life. Um, so that was a very defining moment for me. And whilst after that, there was still a lot of ups and downs with binging and lots of, you know, trying different diets and still assuming I needed to be a certain weight, the binging started to happen less. And I started to learn a lot about food. I started to learn about how the binging was having a negative impact on my digestion, my hormones, my energy levels. I started to understand that binging was an act of self-hate and self-sabotage. And it was really starting to understand both the physical and emotional aspects of this. And then later on through the journey, the spiritual aspect that I have this intuition and I was so afraid to feel and to trust my intuition that I was shoving it down because I was afraid to experience this other gift this other part of me um and so then through five years of ups and downs through again gaining and losing a thousand pounds and spending over fifty thousand dollars on binge food and quick fixes um and taking five years to balance my hormones and my digestion i was very inspired to think how many other people are struggling with whether it's like minor emotional eating moderate emotional eating or full-blown food addictions like i was how many people especially women are struggling with body image and weight obsession and are using diets and food to try to control their weight, but they hate themselves. And I know men struggle with this too. So I want to acknowledge everybody, but there's a stat here in North America that is 90% of the female population has struggled or is struggling with some form of eating disorder or body image issue. And um, girls as young as five are now dieting. And that's profound. Um, to know that that's the kind of staggering stat and amount of the population just in North America that is struggling um, and fighting with their bodies. So that really inspired me to want to start helping other people, women especially, who are struggling with this and that it is consuming their life and their health. Um, and so I work with women now all over the world and have been for about six years. I've coached hundreds of women um, and it's very fulfilling to help them to gain a healthy relationship with food and body freedom. And, and what one of the most um, prominent things that they tell me as they are going along through my body freedom process is I'm gaining my life back. I'm mm -hmm. gaining my health back. And to mm -hmm. me, those are two of the most profound things that you can give yourself because really, truly, how can you live a fulfilling life if you don't have your health and if your mind is consumed with all these obsessive negative thoughts about food and your body? Right, okay, wow. Wow, where do I come in on that uh, <laughs> overview? Um, there's a few things. I made a few notes as you were speaking there, Amber. I mean, the identity, ugly and fat, was a label that you had attached to you from a very early age. Mm -hmm. Now, am I oversimplifying this? Because I have countless conversations around people's addictions. I mean, mine was alcohol. That was my crutch. Mm -hmm. um, but I know now, looking back on why I did that, as you look back to your childhood, and you, you sort of quoted from, you know, six to seven to 24, 
was there a, a defining moment that kind of led you down this this path that, that you're aware of? Yeah, I think so. So I definitely think the day I went on the bus and got called ugly and fat. And I think the other part of this is um, before my mom got pregnant with me um, in her early 30s, she got diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. Mm. And when she got that diagnosis um, and had me, I think to help compensate for some of the things she wasn't able to do with me, like walk long distances or, or just do more like physical related things, um, food was used to, you know, celebrate or if something was wrong or anywhere we went on a small road trip, right? Like we'd always stop for lunch and I could order whatever I want and I can always have dessert or we'd stop at the candy store or there was always a lot of treats and things at home. And this is because, as I became aware of my own food addiction, I really observed that my mom had a very severe food addiction as well. And essentially, mm. um, once she got her diagnosis, she, in essence, almost kind of gave up um, and started to use food more often to suppress her own, um, I'm sure, feelings of like failure and fear that she probably started to experience um, after getting that diagnosis. Um, so yeah, and I always remember growing up, I'd hear her talking about how she hated herself and how she felt inadequate just because of what that, um, disease was, was doing to her. Um, and so I definitely know that I just learned the behavior of food and associating food with pretty much every part of life. And it was very innocent and I don't blame my mom, but definitely observing her behaviors and looking back now, I can definitely see where it came from. And I know, um, that it actually is is from the Great Depression, that the, that whole mindset of I don't have enough and my great-great-grandparents going through that whole mentality of I don't have enough and hoarding everything. Because mm -hmm. I always used to hear my mom say, I don't have enough food or I don't have enough of this. And then I started to catch myself saying that when I'd be at the grocery store buying all my food to binge, I'd be like, is this enough? I don't think I have enough. I don't want to run out of binge food and then have to like come back to the store. And it was so profound to, to hear that lack mindset. Um, and how much it fueled me to then buy way too much food. And I'd always have more than enough. So for me, I think those two experiences were very defining moments um, for like that, just not knowing how to love myself and, and growing up with um, a mother whom I've, of course I love dearly, but who really struggled to love herself and to really know how to honor and take care of herself as well. This self-love thing, Amber, is a, is a recurring theme amongst, mm. um, you know, amongst the many conversations I have with a very diverse range of guests from certainly geographically um, and socioeconomically mm -hmm. as well. But this self-love thing is, okay, Paul, nice fancy words, but where do I start with that? What would be your response to that, Amber, when somebody says, Amber, tell me what is this self-love thing you, you, you keep talking mm. about? What is it? Yeah, so that's a great question. And I think it's it's not just one answer. To me, self-love is about filling a void that that you have of unworthiness, not feeling good enough, um, feeling the need that you have to be perfect or prove yourself or people please. And I think we all, or most of the population, you know, when we're born into this world, um, our parents have their own stuff that they're dealing with and or unaware of that is, you know, limiting beliefs, negative thoughts, mindsets, etc. And I think that it's just so profound that if parents are in this negative self-talk and stressed and, and, and always in a negative mode, how, of course, the child from age zero to seven, their subconscious is fully open and they're absorbing all this information innocently. And then they take on these, you know, learned behaviors and these negative mindsets. Um, and then I think for me, what, what it really was is um, I was trying to fill that void with food, but it, it never got filled with food. Um, and instead, what ended up happening is this journey through what seemed like hell at the time taught me how to learn how to love myself. So to me, self-love isn't just standing in the mirror every day for like 10 minutes going, I love you, I love you, I love you. I mean, you can do that. And if you really feel that, it may help you build connection. But to me, Building self-love is every step you take toward it. So for me, it was building more mindful relationship with food. It was becoming aware of what triggered me to binge and, and choosing to try something other than food 
um, to go through and cope with my stressors, it was starting to catch the negative self-talk and be more positive with my self-talk and complimenting and learning how to accept my body as she was um, and to also you know, start to balance my physical state of health and learn more about that and to not skip meals and not starve myself and not go to the gym because, oh, I need to lose a pound today, but to choose to move my body mindfully if I felt like it. So it was really starting to build awareness and in tuneness with my body and taking all these small action steps to treat my body with love and respect that for me built self-love um, and ending the fight with needing to look a certain way and knowing that self-love is a feeling it's not how you look, it's how you feel about yourself. Mm. Is it oversimplifying it, Amber? I'm playing a little bit of devil's advocate here, as, as I love to do. Is it oversimplifying it to say, you know, looking back with the knowledge and the awareness, I love that word awareness, that you've got now, that if you could turn the clock back with that wisdom, it would mm -hmm. be a very simple polarised choice between love and fear. Or am I being too simplistic? No, I think that's very profound um, because fear fear can be so motivating, but it can be so destructive. Mm. And to me, love is so powerful and healing. But when you don't have your self-worth, you don't feel worthy of love. You don't know what love feels like and you look for love outside of you. And usually love then comes from the space of fear if that makes sense. Yeah. And then you're making all these decisions from fear because you don't feel good enough to try to be approved of and loved and make others happy. But then what ends up happening is because you're spent expending so much physical and emotional energy, giving to everyone else, improving and working extremely long hours and not having work-life balance and not taking any time for yourself, then the health starts to decline. Then that's when the sabotaging behaviors start, like drinking or eating or shopping and spending extra money. Um, and, and, and then that's when the vicious cycles really start. Um, and then the person is now trying to, you know, do all these self-sabotaging things um, and try to give to everybody. And it's, it's very hard to find any form of balance, physically, mentally, emotionally, or spiritually, when you're in that mode. And then again, you're making all these decisions from fear. You question if you could ever love yourself or what that could ever look like. Um, and it, it can just feel more hopeless. It also brings in, doesn't it, the power of identity. You know, this this time, timeless question, who am I? Who am I? Because mm. we collect these labels and badges that's bestowed upon us from a very, very early age, as you say, you know, usually our parents and our close family, um, you know, and no doubt that usually, not always, but normally parents carers do the best they can from the level of awareness that they're at at that given moment in time and but you know we can pick that label up and you know you not for obviously not from from your mother but you picked up that label of ugly and fat mm -hmm. and it's the power of those early impressions isn't it amber that, that stick with yeah. us because i i always liken it to like a sticky plaster or a label that somebody's just you know, they've taken off and they've written on it, uh, Amber, ugly and fat, and they've stuck it on your forehead. And because you're young and sort of, you, you know, lack awareness, you carry it because it's, if it's come from somebody senior or somebody perceived to be stronger or, or whatever that perception is, well, they must know best. So, okay, well, it is me then. And that's, I think, really a parallel um, insight into victimhood, isn't it? Yeah, 100%. So I really think that, well, especially from a young age, we're so innocent, right? We're, mm. we're so eager to take on the world and we're so full of life and just so open. And even I observe kids today and it's just, it's so fun to watch them play and talk and talk about their dreams and everything they want to do. Um, and then it is, it is those, it is innocent from parents because let's face it, like, you don't know how to be a parent until you're a parent. And I can't speak about being a parent yet because I'm not one. And I know my parents did the best they could. Um, I also think that there's a huge opportunity that is lacking for, for everyone on this earth to understand what their own struggles are, what their own limiting beliefs are, um, and, and to actually do their own work so that they can have freedom 
um, and and really learn who they are because I don't think you really know who you are until you go through some kind of deep struggle or experience to really understand who am I on a, an emotional, mental, physical, spiritual level. Mm-hmm. I mean, I didn't have any clue I had a spiritual side to me and how important all of that is for me until I went through this experience. I didn't know how to listen to my body. I didn't know what food was doing to my body and I had no clue um, what, you know, what any of the digestive or hormones or emotional eating was until I went through it myself. Um, and it all at the time defined me and now I'm not attached to my story. I'm very grateful for what I went through. Um, but I just think if people could muster up their courage to get out of their comfort zone and work through their struggles and not numb and suppress, um, people would just live more freeing, fulfilling lives. Um, and then sometimes these behaviors wouldn't be passed on to children because I would say about 85 to 90% of the women that I talked to, it was when they were a child that one or both of their parents called them fat or put them on a diet or told them to go to fat camp or, um, you know, push them to be perfectionists uh, and or nothing they ever did was good enough. So therefore they just got into this belief system. Well, I guess I'm not good enough no matter what I do. And they're very successful people. Now they're doctors, they're, they own multiple, you know, clinics and, and businesses, and they're still trying to prove to their parents they're good enough. And it is literally killing them slowly. Um, so that's why I think like, it's not the parent fault, but at the same token, like if, if more people can start to take responsibility and ownership and stop blaming and, and projecting onto other people, especially the kids, um, and be more mindful about what they say around them, I think that that would make a huge difference with the behaviors and the mindsets that the kids grow up with. Yeah. You've mentioned a couple of times, um, Amber, what I, what I refer to as the SEMP hierarchy. And for that is the spiritual, the emotional, the mental mm-hmm. and the physical. If you were as advising somebody now to overcome, you know, if you, if you was talking to your younger self now mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. having that awareness around SEMP, would you advocate or would you take uh, a line that there is a hierarchy and if you can approach it from the highest point you're not going to get dragged into the the nitty-gritty of um of say the the the, you know the hierarchy at the bottom and the the physical where you die you crash diet then you'll go back you'll put it all back Mm -hmm. on probably twice as much then you'll crash Mm -hmm. diet again uh, and there's a, there's a definite sort of reason I asked that question, which I'll unravel in a moment, uh, Amber, but I just want to try and sort of establish if if you, from your experience or your later wisdom, believe that actually if you can approach it from any level of SEMP, one may or may not have a more powerful effect than the other. Does that, does that make sense? It sure does. And I I really think that, if we can learn how to um, express our emotions and that it's safe to feel our emotions and um, be encouraged from a young age, um, I definitely think that I would have grown up with more, like more of an idea of how to nurture for and love myself. And upon receiving those comments that I did, um, I probably wouldn't have taken it in because I, I may have been able to say to myself, you know, sticks and stones might break my bones, but names will never hurt me. That famous saying, or like, well, that's just their opinion. Mm. Um, because what is the irony of the situation is both of the boys who called me names, um, and this isn't a judgment, but it is a very interesting observation. They both married very large women. So it's very interesting to just have seen how they grew up and, and that they probably don't even realize what they said and how it impacted me. Um, but that it's just very fascinating. Um, and now that I look back and, and anytime I ever hear of anyone calling anyone names, I'm going, well, that's their own insecurities. And unfortunately they have a scared kind of like inner child inside of them that, um, is, you know, making them or inspiring them to say these mean things to other people and they thrive off of it, of, of it, but they don't realize how it's impacting someone else. Right. When, when you're young like that, I don't think you realize the impact you're having on someone else. Um, so I think it is so important to go and build those inner pieces. Um, because I also feel like 
if you love and respect yourself and you learn how to cope with your stressors, you're probably going to be a healthier person because you have healthy ways to cope with stress. And because you have that love and respect, you're probably not going to go and get into some form of self-destructive or addictive behavior as easily because you're not trying to numb pain or like past negative experiences. Um, I mean, I could be wrong, right? Like that's just my view, but I definitely know if I would have known even some of what I have learned in the last 10 years, it would have been a completely different scenario um, for the way that I grew up and the way that I perceived men and, and food and, and dieting. Mm. So I hope that helps to answer your question. Yeah, it, it, it does, Amber. Yeah. And I think with, you know, within all this, um, these kind of insights, there is no right or wrong. Allow me, if you will, to share an insight as to why I ask that question. Mm -hmm. And when I was young, I was brought up in a very brutal, abusive family mm. environment. And I'm being very polite there. And mm -hmm. as a result of that, from a very, very early age, I adopted, um, if that's the right word, a coping mechanism, a survival mechanism mm -hmm. that was based on what I was taught. And that was... Um, addictive behavior that was alcoholism and that was violence and I was taught that by my stepfather from a very 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 early age and I went back to when I say early age I'm talking you know mm -hmm. from the age of eight nine onwards um, and my life became very polarized in terms mm. of who I actually was inside and, and the behavior that I was portraying externally yeah and what happened amber was you know i used to be very physical because of the the conditioning that i'd undergone and i share this because i've got no attachment to it at all it's a story and mm -hmm. it's a true story but you know and listeners know from previous podcasts amber that to me it's a story it's a script it happened we take yeah. the learning from it and interestingly to use the food analogy it's it's a bit like having some good food. We take the nutrients, brackets, learning, and we pass the rest off as waste. Mm. And that's what we should do. Uh, mm -hmm. Be very mindful of that word should. But so what happened was uh, this one particular day, and I'm kind of in my, I don't know, 18, 19 by this time, and I was very physical. I was, you know, I think the label is alpha male, but it was mm. all a front because it was not who I was. What it was, Amber, it was my way of lashing out and making sure that the world kept away from me. I didn't want mm. any closeness because when I let somebody close to me, I, my stepdad, he destroyed me mm. as I knew, as I understood it. So I developed mm. this mask, this, this coping mechanism that was based on basically violence um, and addiction, both behavior mm. and um, this label called alcoholism. And the one day, this a man of the cloth, um, I didn't know the guy, um, and he called me over to him. And I was I was near a church, and he called me over. He beckoned me over, and I would, you know, I'd been on the I'd been on the drink, and I was the worst for wear. And he said, um, "Never forget these words." And I mean, you know, these were four, nearly forty years ago, and I'm never. <laughs> these words are embedded, and I share them for whatever you know listeners may want to take out of them. And he said. I've been watching you. He said, you really, really think you're some guy, don't you? And of course, at that mm -hmm. age, I mean, you know, I would I would fight the world literally. Mm -hmm. And yeah, yeah, I do. And he said, let me tell you something. And this is where I got the semp hierarchy from. He said, the physical stuff that you do is bottom of the pile. It's easy. He said, have you got used to physical pain? And I said, yeah, it's nothing. He said, absolutely, it's nothing. He said, I bet you can take a good iodine without even batting an eyelid or get your nose broke. Said, Absolutely, yeah. He said, I rest my case. And then he said, the next level up is the mental side of things. So I conceptualize this in later years, Amber, almost like, a, you know, like Maslow's triangle, his hierarchy, mm -hmm. split into four. So at the bottom level, we've got this broad base uh, called uh, physical. The next level up as we're going up the triangle um, is the mental. The next one yeah. up is the emotional that you just referred to, but the very top of the pyramid 
is the spiritual. And he said mm-hmm. to me, and I didn't understand this, but isn't it interesting that sort of 40, nearly 40 years on, Amber, I've never forgot these words, and now I absolutely fully understand them and I've done for years. Mm-hmm. But he said, the highest strength, power you can have is based in spirituality. Mm. And that's why I asked that question, Amber, to actually say, you know, in my humble opinion, that our answers are found in that external source, whatever that may be. Yeah. Yes, I agree with you. And I think that spirit and having a spiritual connection is so profound because so many magical things happen and you, you have this infinite connection with yourself and with something so much bigger than yourself. And I really feel we're all put on this earth for a purpose to serve a purpose of some form. Mm. And it's beautiful to, and it sounds like you have as well. And it's beautiful to have gone through what we have to find our soul's purpose or what I, I definitely feel I found my soul's purpose. Um, it's very fulfilling and I wouldn't have aligned with that. I don't think if I wouldn't have gone through what I did. Um, so I think that it's, it's so empowering to have that intuition and to honor those gifts that are developed, I think, as you, you, you gain freedom from whatever it is that you were struggling with and you release the hurt. And like you said, it, it's just a story now. It, it doesn't define you. It's not who you are. Um, at the same token, I think it's so important to have so much love and compassion for, you know, those emotions and, and what people have gone through to, to evolve into this powerful loving, um, spiritual being, um, because at the time when you're going through it, it's not very fun, is it? No, it's not. Um, but isn't it interesting when you look back on it and you've taken, you know, you've had all those metaphoric, uh, good meals, if you like, and took all mm-hmm. that learning and, and, you know, now you learn to past waste brackets metaphor for let go of crap, um, <laughs> You know, isn't it? Yeah, it just, you know, and I'm talking about decades of suffering. And, you know, honestly, Amber, I can't, I can't recollect any of it. It's got no, you know, I look at my body, it's got physical scars on it from fights or or whatever. And I look at it and I just laugh and I think, oh, yeah, okay. That was when you was a silly little boy, was it? And it might have only (laughs) been, I don't know, 15 years ago, as as relatively recent as that. I hope there's none from, you know, from more recent times. Because you learn to let go and it's like, you just realise that this concept called time, this human concept called time, you know, we've got a watch, we've got a clock, we think we know, we think we'll control time. Hasn't today gone quick? No, it's gone the same as yesterday and the day before and the day before that. The perception is it's gone quick. Yeah, or not. exactly. But I love that word purpose, Amber. Absolutely love that word purpose. Because when I, when I try and make sense, uh, well, I have made sense, not try, but when I was trying to make sense, and yet again, this took years of evolving. So let me ask you a question, if I can. And this is this is breaking the rule of all hosts because apparently we should never ever ask a closed question. <laughs> apparently, so I'm breaking a rule here. I want to try and tie you in if I can to a yeah. a closed answer, and then we'll open it up after your answer. So my question to you is this: Is is playing the game of life a simple game? That's a great question. I think my answer is yes. For simplicity <laughs> and then I'll leave it at that because I think there's just so much to say about that <laughs> brilliant answer I love the way that you said yes but there was a little however <laughs> that was brilliant <laughs> yeah um and and yes I, I absolutely believe that because and there that word belief we'll come to that in a moment Amber beliefs but that simplicity is is tied into the spirituality because mm-hmm. isn't it true that as humans we create these labels we create these beliefs based on these labels that you know from early childhood usually are given to us that they're, they're slapped on our metaphoric forehead and you carry that around with you because you are this and you are that um yeah. you know and all this stuff that we believe and um but it's tied into the spirituality element for me because what I've come to know now is that when 
we're born. We come into this world as a metaphoric blank piece of paper. We've got no prejudice. We've got no awareness of X, Y, and Z. We don't know about labels. We learn that stuff. We learn that behavior, that way of being. And then in later life, as we get more enlightened, we go on a journey to undo it all. Or to use the, um, we take some sort of emotional or spiritual laxative to to uh, not be constipated anymore. If that's uh, not being <laughs> yes. too, you know, and that's what we do, isn't it? It is, and that's where I think, you know, the seven spiritual laws. I love the law of least effort. Like people push so hard and force and try so hard, and then you know, they're in this state where everything is going the wrong way and nothing's going right for them, but they continue to affirm that and they continue to think in that way and they keep manifesting all these things that they don't want and I remember the more I fought with my food addiction it's like there's another parking ticket there's another flat tire there's another like negative person in my life and as I learned how to shift away from that and and not need to force and push this perfect body because then everything will be perfect and I'll be happy and and build acceptance and that the acceptance was within me it was a feeling I didn't have to put really any effort into outside of myself, but go inside. And that's where the simplicity started to come. And it's like, I want to have these simple things because it's the most profound. And I think that gratitude and trusting flow of life and surrendering to your path and, you know, just getting into more of those descriptors and those feelings, it makes you feel lighter on all levels. Um, and the lighter you feel, you feel more joy, you feel happier. And if a new challenge comes your way, you're not going into that victim mode anymore. You're not going into old behaviors. You're going, here's an, a new learning opportunity. Here's another opportunity for me to grow and deepen the relationship I have with myself even more. Oh, and then how is that going to benefit my listeners, my clients, my friends, my family? And we no longer, I find, anyway for me, and you can probably relate to this, but it's no longer a poor me, why is this happening to me? It's like, how do I want to, you know, um, go about this? And, and you know, what do I need to do to support myself? And there's so much that you learn from it. And then when you get through that thing and you're on the other side of it again, you're like, I'm so glad that happened. Thanks, universe. Like, look at all the, you know, great things that have evolved from that experience. And now I know myself better. And I have a deeper understanding of why I'm here. And as you said, all that conditioning, I really, I like to call all that the self-sabotaging behaviors, the negative mindsets, the limiting mindsets. To me, that's all the ego. The ego is the self-sabotaging mindset and the ego has conditioned the majority of the world. And I agree with you in that we come into this world so pure and open and then we get all the ego conditioning. And then, like you said, we have to spend time undoing it all. And I think it's so profound when you can recognize and understand what makes you give your power away to your ego and you can work on deepening that awareness you gain more freedom and lightness you're more um a, you're more opportunity to to be that spiritual being and have that simple journey the ego wants to make everything hard the spirit does not right yeah absolutely yeah and and yet again it is as simple as that and uh, uh-huh. I believe, um, and I keep saying that word believe, Amber, deliberately, because I want us to go on to beliefs in a moment, but I believe that, um, as you say, the ego massively plays his or her part, massively. Mm -hmm. Well, we're led to believe it's there to keep us safe. Mm, Okay, I'd I'd like Mm -hmm. to sort of engage in a lot of uh, debates around that particular rationale from psychologists, but, you know, we'll park that's another time, another place, maybe. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, going back to this simplicity, and one of the best models that I've I've heard and I can relate to is a guy called Rupert Spira when he talks about his non-duality. Are you aware of Rupert Spira, Amber? I'm not, but I totally understand the duality piece. Yeah. Yeah, and one of the best, um, I actually saw him in California at a Deepak Chopra seminar uh, a couple of years ago now, and um, it was just fascinating to hear somebody speak in such really simplistic language, and it was this, and you know, that age-old question, who am I, you know, we already flagged that up at the top of this conversation, who am I, 
And mm. that question was asked, and of course, you know, I am male or I am female or mm. I have dark hair, I have blonde hair, I am short, you know, this whole duality, you know, day, night, black, white, young, old, rich, poor, this polarizes old dichot this old dichotomy that we create with our labels. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were flying around left, right and centre. And the reality is, he said, imagine yourself as a TV screen. So when you look at your life and, you know, you've had good times, you've had bad times, you've had indifferent times, they come and go like the wind. What's mm-hmm. the one constant that's been there throughout your life? The one constant, not the experiences, because they fluctuate, as does the seasons, as does the weather. Mm-hmm. And it's it's us, isn't it? So when we talk around us and we talk about I, it's higher self, isn't it? Which kind of brings mm-hmm. us into our nicely back into our purpose again. So the way you described it, Amber, was this. And I find this fascinating. Because when we're embroiled in who we think we are, and I have a you know a food eating addiction, I have an alcohol addiction, I have whatever label I believe now is to be true. Mm-hmm. Actually, he put it across in a way that if you imagine yourself as the TV screen or the big screen, and what happens is these characters come and go. So you might play the part of a young girl that's got an eating addiction, for example. Mm-hmm. On this screen called Amber's TV or Amber's screen. But that girl and that boy called Paul that's embroiled in violence and alcoholism, he's just playing, they're just playing parts on a screen. And mm-hmm. tomorrow or the day after or whenever, the channel will change. Mm-hmm. And it'll be a new story. But that's yeah. all it is a story. Mm-hmm. The only one constant we have is us as the TV screen. And I think that that concept of the higher self, to to remain that neutrality, as experiences happen yeah. to us, and as painful as they are, and as I said, you know, earlier on, Amber, I know why I drunk and I, and I, and I fought. I know why that was. Yeah. It was totally wrong. It was totally wrong. It was, it could not have been more wrong. But that's hindsight and that's experience. Mm-hmm. I've learned to let that go. So, you know, I often think that going back to the hierarchy, and that's why I ask you that, you know, is life a simple game? And around, you know, giving you the the bishop's uh, insight into the SEMP model, that if we approach things from that spiritual higher level, that actually we haven't got to do all the stuff underneath around the physical Mm -hmm. ego stuff and the mental, particularly the mental, and I think the more we go up that into the, the towards the apex of that triangle, the more we're leaving that that stuff behind because we don't really need to address it. If we address yeah. something at a higher level, it's everything underneath will kind of take take care of itself. Whereas if we deal with it at a base level, we're looking up to the top of the mountain or the pyramid, thinking, mm-hmm. "Wow, that's a big one to climb. I'll never yeah. get there. I'll never do that." And and then it becomes a bit like a dog chasing its tail, doesn't it? Round and round and round yes. and round. Yes, 100%. What would you say, Amber, is your life's purpose now? Oh, I would say part of it was to free a lot of lines of suffering. And I think it is to help others gain freedom to have the simplicity to be able to connect with that higher part of them and enjoy what is such a powerful life of simplicity and peace. Wow. That's, that's a, yeah. I mean, doesn't really get much better than that, does it? Mm-hmm. No. Mm. What's your views around prosperity? What does prosperity mean to you? Oh, wow. Well, I definitely would have used to say money and like money in the bank and the car you drive, but now it's like, you know, prosperity of feeling love, like me feeling love of myself and having beautiful, loving people around me. It's having my health. It's having a fulfilling career and a business that I love to run and, you know, having beautiful aligned clients that I love to support and help. help. Um, And of course, the bonus is that I absolutely get showered and supported by receiving abundance back in my business, which is absolutely great. 
but to me it is it is about so many things um not just money but I absolutely love you know being able to expand my business and and live the kind of life that I want to live mm. um but I think a lot of it comes from having that connection yeah. right and the yeah. simplicity right again you know when we trust the flow and we are open and we trust that the universe has our back and has our greatest good in mind it's profound what shows up in your life in so many different ways when you're not fighting or forcing or pushing i love that title what the universe uh, gabby bernstein the universe has mm -hmm. your back love that yeah she introduced well, well through the audio um some time ago now amber this this concept of angel numbers and it's, it's amazing when i look at the clock bearing in mind i've really got no sort of understanding or appreciation of this human concept called time because it is what <laughs> it is what it is you know yeah. and uh, but when i look at the clock and it says 11 11 um <laughs> you know things like that it's like yeah okay and i just smile thank you <laughs> um okay so philanthropy what does philanthropy mean to you i think it means having the means to help support others and give back i really believe in an exchange of giving not just receiving of course but giving as well and i think that there's such an opportunity um when you've had prosperity in many different ways and you've had success to support and serve and help others, whether that's um, someone who's struggling with the food addiction or it's a charity that I believe in that, you know, needs that extra support or it's someone who's maybe wanting to start their own business and going, Hey, how did you do it? I'd love to have a conversation with you and, you know, me just sharing some, some words of wisdom or answering some of their questions. Like, there's so many ways to, I believe, give back. Um, and another, for me, and this, this may sound completely off the, um, the path of philanthropy, but to me, holding space yeah. for people to allow them to be who they are and to feel what they need to feel without judgment or without telling them, no, you have to just be happy and think positive. Holding space to me is one of the most profound things that I can give because it lets people just be who they are and feel and process. And I think that the world needs that so much. And I think people need that so much. Yeah. Could not agree more. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. The reason I asked those three questions around purpose, prosperity and philanthropy Amber, mm -hmm. is this having a belief system, that um of survival when when i retrace that experience and take the learning out of it there's been three pillars of my life and they have been purpose prosperity and philanthropy so the purpose in its very most simplistic form is for all of us a reason to get out of bed in the morning give me a reason to get out of bed but that's not enough that's not mm -hmm. enough. We need more because we don't want to simply exist. We, we want and deserve more because actually, isn't it true, Amber, that we are more? We might not think we're more, but we actually we yeah. are because at yeah. our source, at that metaphoric blank piece of paper that we alluded to earlier on is actually mm -hmm. called PLH, peace, love and happiness. That's who mm -hmm. we naturally are, bar none, mm -hmm. no exceptions. Um, and that is, I'll say it again firmly well it's not my belief it's my knowing and there's a big mm. difference isn't there between beliefs yes. and knowing yes a big difference and so when we look at the purpose of reason to get out of bed that's okay it's a it's a foundation it's a start but we need more that's where prosperity comes in and this mm -hmm. is where i love wikipedia's uh, definition of it and it says i can't remember it verbatim but it alludes to the fact that it's usually perceived as in financial terms, but it's so much more. It can mm -hmm. be about social status. It can be about normally um, health, wealth, but more importantly, happiness. And so it gives a very, very holistic overview of, of what prosperity means. And I, and I love that definition because, yeah. you know, money is important. But yes. I think, um, 
I think it's only important when the other stuff's in place because otherwise, yes. yeah, again, we're chasing silver trinkets outside of us for happiness, you know, drink, food, whatever, relationships, whatever yeah. they may be. Um, we're turning away from our true self, aren't we? Mm-hmm. 100%. And I think that one of the things that um, makes people get so caught up in the material part is they think, if I look like I have it together externally, right, with my body and my car and my house, right, no one would ever guess how broken I am inside, mm. right, um, versus when we can have that wholeness inside and, like you said, that peace, that happiness, um, great, still have the house, have the car, whatever you want externally, but you're not doing that because you don't feel good enough. You're not doing that from a space of fear, right? Um, so I think it's so profound, the difference, um, of what becomes important and what you put your energy and your focus into when you're whole and complete and, and those other things are just part of your enjoyment of life, but not a need to prove. So from the prosperity, so I'm getting out of bed every day, actually feel good about myself. Mm-hmm. The philanthropy for me, and I love your terminology about holding space okay, let me share this with the world. Let me share my lessons with the world so that they don't have to pay the price that I've paid. They don't have to go through that pain. Pain's okay, small doses, we know. Same as stresses, Mm -hmm. small doses. There's great learning. There's great leverage in there. Mm -hmm. But suffering is not. There's no merits in that at all. And so for me, Amber, the philanthropy is about, okay, let's pass on these lessons. Let's... Let's let's create a podcast called Speaking from Our Hearts where people's stories will be heard. The vulnerabilities will be shared. I am immensely amazed and grateful that people come on on this uh, podcast show and, and talk about things that... And they'll say afterwards, I, I don't believe I said that or divulged that. And I said, well, did you feel comfortable? Yeah, it just felt right. And, <laughs> you know, and I think just speaking from our hearts as a generalization is such a powerful medium. And the mm-hmm. simple things in life are like drinking water, like sleep, the natural things. Yeah. And we, we don't, t- we just take them all for granted, don't we? If, you know, when, yes. we, when we lose our way a little bit and that, yes. And that brings me in, Amber, to sort of challenging something. And I don't know if you come across this yourself when when we're referred to as people as being broken. Mm. Do you ever mm-hmm. come across that? Oh, for sure. All the time. Yeah. Very common concept. Yeah. Well, we're not broken. We don't no. need fixing. We're not machines. We're not robots. We're not cars. <laughs> we might lose our way a little bit through our beliefs. And... Yeah as I keep alluding to, I want to sort of just just to start to bring things towards a close now, Amber, if I may, mm. around this beliefs thing that I've deliberately flagged up on more than one occasion. Um, give, give me your insight or your definition of, of beliefs, please. Well, I think they are just that. I think that they are something that is planted in our mind, whether it be either duality, good or bad, positive or negative. And I really think that the kind of beliefs you have are going to really dictate the path you're going to go down because I witness people and some people very close to me that I love very dearly on paths of massive struggle And because their belief systems are what they are, and they're emotionally involved in those belief systems, again, they're manifesting a reality that they don't want. Mm. And then I see other people who have, you know, more connected or spiritual or um, empowering belief systems, and they're emotionally involved with those, and they're effortlessly manifesting everything they want. Um, So I think that belief systems can be so powerful on either spectrum, um, and, and that they can also, and it's also though, once you're aware and you understand the connection to source, I believe it is important, as I say, I believe, I think it's important to um, work through negative belief systems, but detach somewhat from your belief systems because 
do you do you think that it's not it cannot also be part of the um the label right mm. in some aspect mm. yeah yeah absolutely absolutely um and it's you know I, I kind of i wrap it up really amber in that you know that uh, that question about do we see to believe or do we believe to see which one's right mm -hmm. the answer for me is both and neither yeah yeah fair enough i agree with you there because we need stepping stones as we as we ex live experientially as we are i think it's Chopra quoted we are spiritual beings having human experiences i change the yeah. word uh, experiences for challenges um, because mm. we, we we have to you know as human beings we we're we're embroiled in a well in a human existence yes mm -hmm. our whole way of being is may or may not be spiritual de depending on our levels of consciousness um, mm -hmm. but first and foremost we have those we have those you know semp challenges don't we we have those physical challenges we have those mental yeah. challenges we have those emotional challenges. And the umbrella that's called the uh, the spiritual, you know, it sits underneath all them. So, the, the the beliefs thing for me is is very much it's a stepping stone to, to you know to help me along at this moment in time in this particular experience. But just like to quote um, Rupert Spira's TV screen, do you know that scene's just finished now? It's over. Mm -hmm. It's gone. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And, and I think once we get that insight around this whole duality philosophy, Amber, um, we don't need to be fighting things at grassroots level because we spend no. so much time and energy um, just doing that that it's like, no. And that's why, you know, um, for me, life is a very, very simple game. And that's why I, and I really loved your answer. And it's like, mm -hmm. I, I could feel the kind of, I know that it is, but I was, <laughs> I could feel you <laughs> straining at the leash. However, and you didn't say, but I could feel the however in your voice. And that's why I deliberately sort of said, this is a closed question, Amber. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah. okay. So, right. Um, if, if you had one in one minute, uh, you know, I like sort of tying guests into, these clothes and these tight corners to make them really think, Amber, because um, I think, yet again, from the distillation point of view and the learning point of view from the listeners is immense. Mm. So in one minute or thereabouts, if you, when you, in your physical form, leave this, this, um, this earth and you leave one powerful message above anything else, what would that one message be? Mm it would definitely be to explore and embark on a path that is different so that you can build peace, you can find yourself love and you can live and create that simple life. And whilst you're on that different path, there may be discomfort, but you will learn so much about yourself. You will gain so much freedom. And from there, you never know, you may find your purpose and why it is you're here and what it is that you are meant to do with this life um, on this earth at this time. So find your courage, get out of your comfort zone and see where your path takes you. I think that's just the most important thing. Beautiful, thank you. One yeah. final question, Amber, one final question and mm -hmm. a really do want to tie you to a metaphoric minute on this. What does speaking from your heart mean to you? Love, authenticity, compassion. And it truly means that when I share something, it is so part of my soul and who I am that it moves other people. To me, that is speaking from my heart to move and inspire other people and to feel that alignment with my soul, knowing that this is exactly why I'm here and exactly what I'm meant to do. Um, and it really does come from a space of love um, and healing. I really think we're all powerful heal healers once we can connect with that source. And you never know what you may say that may help to heal somebody. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you for that.
You're so welcome. finally, Amber, then um, been a fascinating, um, fascinating insight. Some great shares. I um, I believe we've got to get that belief word in there again. <laughs> um, so how can people reach out to you, Amber? How can they find more about you? What, what's your contact details? Yeah. So um, you can check out everything about me at amberproof.ca. In fact, I have a new website coming soon. Um, you can check me out on my podcast called the No Sugar Coding Podcast, especially if you're curious to hear more about emotional eating, limiting beliefs and mindsets, body image struggles, hormones and digestion. Um, and you can follow me on Instagram at my name, which is Amber. Romaniac. Um, if you want to follow me for more inspiration tips, um, words of wisdom, um, those are the three places you can find me. Superb. Thank you, Amber. You're welcome. So there we have it, listeners. The very, very insightful Amber. And um, not not from uh, California, as I originally <laughs> thought, but from Canada. So I've, I've learned something uh, yeah, around uh, the suffixes on domain names today. But uh, anyway, that, I digress. So more to the point, I'll leave you with this message, listeners. Remember, whatever you do in life, always walk your path with heart. Mm. Heart, helping everyone achieve results towards success. <laughs>